Welcome to Waypoint. I'm glad you're here. If you're watching at home, we're glad you're with us as well. We are in a series on prayer. And we've been going to different sections of Scripture and looking at some teaching that's there. And there's actually a lot. There's a lot of teaching on prayer in the Scriptures. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, it's just important. If the goal of prayer is for you to reveal your heart to God and God to reveal His heart to you, it becomes one of the most important things that you could do. And so we've looked at how there's lots of different ways to do that. And people have been practicing, and I've been encouraged to hear that, because you're trying to go through a process where your heart gets revealed to God, and God reveals it back. And there's relationship that happens there. Now, there's a second reason I think there might be a lot of teaching on this in the Scriptures too, and that's because there were widely accepted beliefs and practices of the Jewish people at that time that, um, that Jesus was speaking into. I, I told you, uh, we, we read, uh, I think it was last week, where the disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. And I told you, I have no idea what John taught. But here's what's significant about that. It's why it's worth noting in the first place that that's even happening the way they practiced prayer in their culture, where there were set prayers said at set times, and you would have been raised to doing this. From a little kid on up, you would have had the practices. For somebody to have to train you to pray, that's odd. The only thing that makes sense is that they were training outside of the cultural norms that it becomes kind of standard for everybody. I don't, I don't know if you realize this or not, but praying becomes culturally normal for almost all of us. It could be that you grew up not praying. It just wasn't a part of the way you practiced or you engaged, and that's become a cultural norm for you. But let me give you a different example that I think would uh, maybe apply to a bunch of you here. Did you realize that there is no command or expectation for you to pray before you eat in the Scriptures? It's not there. Uh, what's there is that Jesus blessed some food before the, he split it for 4,000 and 5,000. And Paul prayed before meals. And so we saw those kind of examples and people started doing that. But the reason you do that is because you were raised to do that from a little one on up. And you don't know any other way. In fact, how many of you would be willing to admit that you've sat down in a rush before and you started to eat and then you remembered, I didn't pray yet, and you felt guilty. Like you dropped the fork and you prayed immediately. You got to get that covered, right? And some of you, you don't even get there. You can't, you can't imagine putting that food to your mouth unless there's a prayer said. And if one of your kids starts to make the move, you give them the look, right? I'll paralyze you. And, and they freeze like, we can't do this until there's a prayer. Now listen, nothing wrong with doing that. It's not a bad practice. It's probably um, pretty beneficial for you. But it's not there because it's commanded or expected. It's just a part of the culture that we grew up with, and it's how we practice things. I want you to understand that the majority of praying for the Jewish people fit into that category. That's what they did. There were set times, there were set prayers. Everybody knew what you were going to say, when you were going to say it, how you were going to say it. And you just simply followed those patterns. 
until John and Jesus come along and they start messing with stuff. And they start messing with the cultural norms. And we looked at one of those last week. I want to take you to a place where Jesus does the same thing again. Uh, He comes out one morning and he notices a group of people are gathering. And it's going to be a large crowd. And he realizes, I have got to spend time with just my disciples. I've got to make sure that they know my values, my expectations, how I see the world. That's what a disciple was for them back then. I'm passing on to you the way I see the world so that when I'm gone, you'll see the world that way. And so he took his disciples up to a mountaintop. And in a section of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, it's the longest section of scripture where he sits and teaches to just his disciples. In the middle of that, There's no preface to lead up to it or anything like that. Jesus just breaks out and starts talking about praying. And that's where I want to take you. Because he's got some stuff to say that I think are going to be really valuable. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says this. And when you pray, because he thinks they will be, right? Do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Jesus comes out firing. He's talking about hypocrites. What what in the world is going on here? What's going, I mean, what is he upset about? He is talking about a a very specific type of prayer that they all understood. I want to make sure you understand it too. I'm going to have to look up the name of it because it does not pronounce the way it's written. Uh, Phylacteries is the type of prayer um, that was performed that he was speaking about in this moment. Uh, Phylacteries were a memorized prayer that quoted scripture and not a little bit. This is what they memorized and said as a prayer. It It happened in four parts. Exodus 1 through 10, Exodus 11 through 16, Deuteronomy 4 through 9, and then Deuteronomy 13 through 21. In like four movements, you would recite all of that from memory as a prayer. And there was a set time of day for you to do it. Everybody knew this. By the way, this was generally practiced by just religious leaders. Why? Because the set time, I'm pretty sure, was 9 a.m., And did you see how many chapters there were? This was a three-hour prayer. I don't know about you, but if you're trying to make a living, you're not taking three hours out of prime time to do that. But if you're a religious leader and that's all you've got with your day, you're doing that. Now, here's, here's, if you notice, here's what happened. He said they're praying at the synagogues and on street corners. How in the world? Like, if you know the time when that's supposed to happen... You know the prayer that you're supposed to do. Why are you ending up on a street corner? Because you planned it. Here, I I want you to understand just how important this set of prayers was to this this community, by the way. So um, in ancient times, there was a section of scripture that talked about binding the scripture to your head. And I believe it was a metaphor for making sure that you understand this. Like, put it in your mind, put it in your soul. They said this is literal. And they actually took that section of Scripture that I told you about, Exodus 1 through 10, 11, okay? And they wrote those down on parchments, and they rolled them up, and they put them in these little boxes. And then they put them right on their head, 
and then they would strap them on their arms. That's the prayer. They, by the way, they still practice this today. Some of those who would consider themselves orthodox still practice this today. And so these people would be standing in the middle of a street. Why? Because they timed it to be there. They knew at 9 o'clock, I've got to stop this. So they knew they would put themselves right in the middle of the street, right on that street corner where everybody's going by. At 9 o'clock, they would put everything down and begin their prayers, and everybody around them would stop and say, they're righteous. Wow, they're really godly. They're really devout. You want to know the truth? They were dedicated to getting attention. Like they had, you had to work hard to be at the right place in order to do what they were going to do. And so then they would recite this out in the open, loud and proud, for three hours for everybody passing by so that everybody could see how fantastic they were were. Did you see what it said at the end of that verse? The scripture said, they got their reward. What they were in it for, they got. Whether it was status, attention, whatever their motivation was to be seen, they got their reward. And that's all that they were going to get out of it. Which is, the, which is the thing that this whole section of Scripture is going to call us to think about. Uh, Jesus brings this up because he cares about the motives that you would go into prayer for. And these guys, in their culture, were stepping into these places and talking loud and proud for attention. Listen, there are people here, you probably would feel uncomfortable going and praying in your living room with a friend at this point. There are some people who feel that way. So you can't imagine, like, timing it up to be on a street corner where you could pray out loud, but I want you to get the right picture here. This was a memorized prayer that was done in four different parts. The closest you can get to this is this was a performance, man. This was a street performance. Have you ever stopped and watched somebody on a boardwalk doing something fun and they're like, wow, that's really talented, that's pretty cool, let's throw them a few bucks? That's what you're seeing here. And if you had memorized and practiced and done all of that sort of thing, you could do something like that, but that's Jesus' point. Their heart is in getting the accolades. Their heart is not in actually revealing their heart or hearing God's heart to them. He says, listen, if you want to pray that way, don't. It's a mistake. It's very hypocritical. And then he goes on, and he says this in verse 6. Because he's not opposed to this type of prayer. But when you pray, assuming they will, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now there's a lot going on here. He said, listen, when you pray, there will be a reward. But if, if we're going to pay attention to the main idea that Jesus is getting at through this whole section of Scripture, we're going to have to ask this question. What motivates you to pray? What's causing you to do that in the first place? And if you want to find your motives, ask the question, what do I think the reward will be for doing this? 
And that will reveal why you're motivated to do that in the first place. If I'm praying because I'm hoping God will answer this thing and give me what I want, that's what's motivating you. But if there's a different motive, your heart will reveal it to you. If you can just ask, why am I doing this? So Jesus says, listen, you could be rewarded, but I want you to consider doing this a different way. How, how many of you um, saw the word um, room or inner room, or maybe your translation has closet? Have you ever heard go into your closet and pray, that sort of thing? If, if we use that word in our culture, no big deal. Because I could go to any of your houses right now, I could walk in and say, show me your closet. And you would say, which one? Right? You'd want to know which closet I'm talking about. If you walked into an ancient person's home and shed, said, show me your closet, they would say, what are you talking about? You know, the place you put the stuff that you don't need that's extra. <laughs> they would have started laughing at you. Like, they're trying to get by and survive. What they, ha they own, they're wearing. There's no extra pair of shoes. There's no extra food. They went day by day trying to get enough food to survive and live. They did not have closets. And so we kind of confuse this because we're very literal. This closet idea is not a little space. They, again, you understand, most of the people lived in one-room dwellings. There was no spare room off to the side for you to go and set up. Um, this little concept, the, the men, these religious men, wore um, what you could understand as a scarf around them. And they would take and they would pull that up and they would put it over their head and they would pray quietly and that was considered a closet for them. So if you did get caught in the middle of the street or if you were in the synagogue and you wanted to pray this prayer, you could do it quietly. Most didn't. But Jesus said, if you want to practice this, then don't make it about the show. Cover your head, be quiet with me, and reveal your heart. And when you reveal your heart to me in this way, you're going to get your reward because I'm going to reveal myself back. So again, he's talking about motive. What has motivated you to go out there and do that. I don't want you to be motivated to be seen. I want you to be motivated to connect with me. Okay? But there's more going on in the culture, and so he addresses it. Verse 7, And when you pray, expecting that they would, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Jesus is being nice. He's being nice by laying this kind of idea at the feet of all these other pagan religions. But what Jesus is referring to was very widely practiced among all these ancient cultures. Uh, they, they would believe that repeating and saying over and over and over repetitious things that would mount up over time would be uh, a practice that was wise for you to do. And believe it or not, the Jews were doing it just as much as anybody else. I want to show you an ancient prayer that I found to Caesar. Caesar was considered himself a god. Augustus was the son of God. They referred to themselves this way. And people would actually pray to Caesar. I want to show you this thing. Um, let the uh, parricide is uh, the killing of parents, which uh, for the record, I am not for. Okay, let the parricide be dragged. 
We beseech thee, Augustus, let the parasite be dragged. This is the thing we ask, let the parasite be dragged. Do they want somebody dragged? I bet. Here is Caesar, let the false accusers be cast to the line. Here is Caesar, let the false accusers be condemned to the line. Here is Caesar, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. Why? There were prayers like this for two reasons. One, you felt like you had to say a bunch in order to get that guy's attention or you would be so annoying they would answer your request. So you would just go for it. I've, I try to come up, I mean, this is, this is irritating right there, but I try to come up with an illustration for this, and I found something. And I told the first um, service that we were going to go a minute, and I couldn't make it. But I'm gonna, we made it 45 seconds. But I'm going to try and see if we can actually pull off 50 seconds during this service, Okay. Um, you are about to be annoyed. Ready? Go. Oh, no. What? No, don't encourage this song. Okay, that's good. We made it. 50 seconds. You guys are heroes. Now, that song, if you are gracious enough in your soul to call it that, goes on for 3 minutes and 32 seconds. I don't know, the message of that song, if there is one, was communicated in five, right? Five seconds, that's all you needed, you're good. What's the rest of that song about? Other than making you want to pull your hair out and tear your ears off. It's just a mountain of words, spewing as fast as possible, I want you to understand that's exactly how many of these cultures thought about prayer. If I can overwhelm you, maybe you'll, maybe you'll actually pay attention to me. Or maybe you'll get so annoyed with me, you'll answer my request. And just in case you think this doesn't apply to Jewish people, I want to read you a maxim that they had. This was a truth that they passed down from generation to generation. They believed this and practiced this. It says, this is their maxim, he who multiplies prayers must be heard. You want to get God's attention? Multiply your prayers. Repeat over and over. Flood them with it. Because you will have to be heard if you come at God like that. Listen, what's the motivation behind this kind of idea is that I need to do something to get God's attention or I need to do something to irritate God so badly that he does something for me. 
This is, this is how Jesus responds to this. This is verse 8. He goes, this maxim is wrong. The way they're practicing this is a mess. He says, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. What, what this is is an incredible kind of nod to what's going on. Um, you don't need to repeat to get his attention. He's so attentive to you, he already knows what's going on in your life before you ask. Like he's got you. He knows your circumstances, cares about you, loves you. But, but instead of seeing this as this great kind of, oh my word, that is so comforting. It has generated, this little verse that I just read to you has generated more questions than it has comfort. These are the two that I've heard. The two questions is, okay, if he doesn't want me repeating, then how can I be persistent in prayer if he, if he already knows what I want? Like, obviously, he doesn't want me praying over and over again, so why am I to be persistent in prayer? We talked about this last week. The second question is bigger. The second question I hear from people who read this is, why pray at all in the first place? If God already knows what you're going to ask, why would you waste your time, spend your time? If he doesn't give what you ask because he already knows you, then there's something wrong with how he's relating to you. But I think both of these questions will make sense in light of the main purpose that Jesus is getting at as he's working his way through this text. He's talking about motive. So let's, let's take the first one. How can I be persistent if you don't want me to repeat? Well, what's the point of their repeating? It was to get God's attention. It was to wear God down. If that's your goals for repeating the thing that's a burden to you, you're probably going to miss out. You're missing out on touching and connecting with the heart of God. But what Jesus said in Luke was I want you to ask, I want you to seek, I want you to knock, I want you to be persistent about it until I give you an answer, until you find that piece of wisdom that you were looking for, until I open the door and you connect with me. I want you to keep doing that. So if that burden is what fills your heart, and it is who you are, you're just expressing that to God, which is what prayer is about, and you're inviting God to Reveal himself to that need that you feel. There is nothing wrong with that kind of repetition. But it doesn't make any sense at all to think that you're going to wear God down or that somehow I've got to get God's attention. You've got it. So your motive, your motive when you come to ask is what matters. Am I attempting to reveal my heart to God? Because this is what's in me right now. This is the pain I'm carrying. This is the burden that I feel. And so you're revealing that. And if you've revealed it over and over again, that's not a problem. The second part is, again, a motive question. Why would I pray at all if God already, already knows what I want? That reveals why you're motivated to pray. Why should I ask for anything? God should just give it to me. Why? Is that who God is to you? Is he somebody who just shows up to give you what you want when you need it, the way you want it? What he's trying to do is find a way to meet you heart to heart. 
And the truth is, he's looking for you to bring your heart into the conversation and to have it open enough to hear his respond back to you. That's why we pray. In fact, here, I'll just put it as simple as this. There isn't a single relationship that you have right now, good, solid relationship that wasn't built without communication. There was talking. That's what God's looking for. And so many times what we're in it for is the answer. We want, we want to get what we want out of that prayer time. And then we don't see the point if we're not going to get it. If you're not going to give me what I want, why should I even pray? I want you to pray because I want to know you. See, I already know you, but you need to know me more. And unless you open your heart for that conversation, the depths of who I am will not be revealed to you, and you will miss out. There'll be a loss. And so God says, I want you to bring your heart to me. Be motivated to know me. And you could find that reward. Now, let me help you put this together in practice, okay? So I overheard a conversation this week. It was really helpful for me to figure out how I might um, um, help people along with some of this. Uh, people are rolling dice, right? You're rolling a dice, and uh, you're practicing a lot of different types of prayer. I hope you'll stay at it. You have to do this over time to um, build up your connection with God. I think it's important. And they said, listen, I rolled a five, and five is in the hearts. It's a T, it's Thanksgiving. And they said they went the whole day, and they were thankful about all the stuff that God had done for them, and, um, and they thought it was valuable. And the next morning, they rolled a five, and they said, I'm not doing that again. I mean, I'll just be repeating myself. And in one instance, they, they were carefully getting this right. Because the goal of this is not to roll a five and then now go check the box off that I just said thankful prayers. That I'm thankful for my family, I'm thankful for my job, I'm thankful for the sports I play, I'm thankful. Like all this stuff you would be thankful for, you've got off your list and then you go, look, I did it. That's not the point. The reason that person could have stayed with that five the second day is because what we're trying to do is cause our spirits to be sensitive to where God is at work in our lives. And I guarantee you, no two days are alike. You will have different responsibilities. You will run into different people. You will have um, different experiences. And the goal is to find God active in each one of those so that you can give a sound of thankfulness for what he's doing with that friend that you didn't see the other day for that situation that you didn't experience the other day. So each day has the ability to be new, but it's about the motive that you go into it with. And if it's just to check off the box, be careful. We're not encouraging you to roll dice and to experiment with different kind of praying just so you, you can check the box. The whole point of this is so that you can find a way to reveal your heart to God and then you give God a chance to reveal his heart back. I believe this will be one of the most important things that you do with your time in your life because to engage with God in a relationship requires communication and if you're not having that kind of communication, the depth of relationship that you could have is going to be stunted. And if you think, I'll just repeat and that'll be good enough. I'll just check off the box. People were doing that and Jesus said, don't. Do it. Don't waste your time that way. Put your heart 
into this matter. Do you have weird motives? Have you ever stopped and just asked, why am I praying? I'm hoping this week you'll do that. I'm hoping this week as you roll the dice and you experiment with some different types of prayer, that you'll stop and say, why am I motivated to do this type of prayer today? What about this allows me to reveal my heart to God? What about this time allows God to reveal his heart to me? And if you can put your motives in the right place, you can really take this idea of prayer to a level in your life where God will start to meet with you in ways that nobody else will understand. You will have the friend that goes with you. You'll have comfort when you need it. You'll have, you'll have um, somebody who challenges you like, why did you do that? Why did you say that? Be quiet. And your spirit will become this place where God interacts with you. But it has to be grown. And it doesn't get there if you're just checking a box. So I hope this week, as you roll the dice, you're going to ask, what's my motive? What's driving me? What's causing me to do this? Is there a way for me to reveal my heart to God today? Is there a way for him to reveal his heart to me? And if you can do that, I believe your lives will be changed. I really do believe that. Can I pray with you? God, it's not just that you want us to pray. You want us to care about how we do it. The motives that we carry before you. Like if we go in with messed up motives, we, we might actually get what we want. We might get that attention we might get what we seek and miss you. So I ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to really understand the value you have in us revealing our heart to you and starting a conversation, engaging with you and listening for you back. God, I believe you intend to change our lives. And I'm not sure you can do it unless you have our attention so I ask as we enter in to these attempts to practice these different types of prayers that we would pay attention to our motives that ultimately we would do it because we loved you because we're talking to a God who so overwhelmingly loves us he already knows everything about us when we come to him and we're just learning how to trust you with it. God, you're so good. I ask you would encourage people to step in, to embrace you, to not do this for the sake of habit, but to do this for the sake of relationship. In Jesus' name, amen.